0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
1: Welcome to Fulhamish Extra, your extra dosage of Fulham FC content. My name is Don Betts, and joining me today in the studio is Guy Barlow and Joe Sansum. On today's podcast, we'll be looking ahead to Saturday's trip to St Andrews with footballing legend Deli Adabola. Your listener questions, as well as Sammy's Fulham and the First World War special. We won't mention that disaster class against Hull on Saturday. I think Sam and Jack pretty much had that covered in Monday's podcast. But We'll take on Birmingham City this weekend and we were lucky to be joined by ex-blue striker and club commentator Deli Edebola and we started off by asking them what he's made of their start to the season so far. Birmingham
2: uh, like have started really well. They have uh, adopted a new style of playing. Uh, I thought last season it was highly successful. It was a little bit more direct but um, the new managers come in and, and wanted to play a more... Um, like expansive and um, playing on the ground type of football and he stuck to his guns and picked up uh, more points than I think any other blue side in the last sort of five years and they're looking really good at the moment
1: obviously looking at Fulham at home probably you know about a month or so ago six weeks in the last international break probably looked like a tough fixture but in our recent form do you think you know the uh, Birmingham City team will definitely be looking to get the three points on Saturday
2: um, know it's going to be a really tough game i think fulham are, are a good side having a similar problem to blues as in like with so much possession at both sides try to have a lot of possession it means that you don't create as many chances and where blues i think have come out the other side and, uh, and have become a little bit more they, they find a bit more of a balance fulham seem a little bit more stuck in the ways um blues at home are like you know it's become a fortress so like you'd fancy blues to take the points but it's Definitely not uh, an easy game.
1: With obviously Chelland leaving in the summer, how have Birmingham sort of you know reacted to trying to find somewhere to get the goals from?
2: Um, it's been sh- roughly shared around. I think that, that funnily enough, that the biggest attacking threat I, I think comes from the fullbacks. So playing that sort of expansive type of football, I think you see it in the Premier League loads. Championship is the same. Fullbacks are used so much now. Um, Blues get their four backs right up there um, delivering crosses, getting into the box, and they're starting to chip in as well. And and if you add that to sort of goals from midfielders, um, there's not uh, that heavy burden left to the forwards, just to the forwards to
3: score. A lot of the news I often see coming out of Birmingham, you know, as an opposition fan, is um, much of the chat, obviously, about your new style of play, but it's also about your goalkeeper. Like um, um, Lee Camp is. Always seems to be in for criticism, um, and obviously Birmingham still got former Fulham goalkeepers David Stockdale, just like rotting, you know, like in in the reserves or whatever. So, what do you make of the goalkeeper situation?
2: You know what? It, it, it's a really difficult one because I played. Well, it's not difficult for me. I played with Lee Camp at Nottingham Forest, and I thought he was a fantastic professional. Um, he always reliable. He went to Middlesbrough, didn't get, have a great time, and that. You know what, once your reputation's tarnished, it follows you around. I think he's done really well at Blues, and there have been some mistakes, but he gets far more stick than what you know, that it equates to. Look at where Blues are on the table, the amount of goals they've conceded. He's not throwing in, um, like, you know, rickets every game and stuff, but he, he seems to get that kind of attention. So when he does make a mistake, it's blown out of proportion. Um, he's, a, he's a good, steady pro for me.
1: With, with, with Birmingham, obviously 12th in the table, but only you know, three points off the playoff places because this is how ridiculous this Championship season is. What is the aim for Birmingham this season? Is it just a challenge or are there playoff hopes after the start they've had?
2: I think you, you, you get past Christmas and then you, you, you start putting a label on it. It's still too early to sort of say, even though, like I said, they've had the, the amount of points they've brought in with the way that they've changed the, the style of play and. And, and and how, you know, threatening they look and, and, and you know, their home performances and the points they're picking up at home. It looks great at the moment, but you go in a run of two or three games and then all of a sudden it's doom and gloom again. I think the manager's just going to try and, like I said, get into the new year. If you're there or thereabouts, you've got a great chance because it seems like everyone's beating each other. You know, there's no real consistency apart from right at the top of you, you West Brom. And you're like, if you're there... You can maybe go and spend a little bit of money, bring a striker in and, and go for it. Uh, but I, I really do think Blues will wait to see where they are before they sort of announce a, a title challenge. Um, because it's it happened. Um, they've got so far before, in previous years and then fell away the second part of the season.
3: Obviously, in the centre of the park, you've got this um, you know, 16-year-old Jude Bellingham. Um, he's... Obviously, this is his standout year. You know, I remember in August it was he came on and scored the winner or what? Um, how, what has he got to offer? Like, what kind of player is he? Basically,
2: you know what? Um, the, he is he's special. Like, you know, I, I always try to not um, big young players up because they don't need the pressure. Um, you never know what they're going to be. There's been the the, the Championship prem, Premier League is littered full of young talent which. You know, people talk up to death and then um, they don't go and do anything. But um, Blues have been sort of nurturing him for the last few years. He, he is someone who they will eventually build their team around. I didn't expect him to play as many games as he had has already. But fair play to the, to the manager. He's found a position for him where he doesn't have to rely on his strength because he's still developing. He can just go out and play. And, and in the centre midfield, he just looks comfortable. He's able to to show show people what he's got. in a, In another year's time, when he gets that little bit bigger and stronger, you I think people will start taking notice. The couple of goals have got him a bit of attention, but maybe by next year's performances on the road will will start to sort of really um, get people standing up.
4: I had a bit of a look at the transfer business that Birmingham did over the summer, and one player that stood out to me was probably butchering his name, but Ivan Sunich the Croatian midfielder. I was wondering how do you think he's settled in so far? I've seen a few rave reviews for him and do you think he's someone that's destined for the Premier League?
2: Yeah, you know, um, for me, when he first started, I thought he was a little bit lightweight. Um, He he was sort of diving into tackles and and trying to put himself about about a little bit and the physicality of the the championship didn't seem to quite suit him. But, you know, the, the way Blues have of adopted this footballing style, he's been able to settle, and he's probably settled far quicker than than any of the, the other new recruits. And now you look at him, and he doesn't need to make the challenges that he was before because his football's taken care of everything. He scored some fantastic goals. He's, um, the fans love him. Um, yeah, he's he, he looks like a player who could make that step up into the Premier League.
3: Obviously, last last time out against Cardiff. Um... Harley Dean was sent off. Um, Will he be missed against us on Saturday?
2: Yeah, I think Blues pride themselves on on, they don't really make too many changes. I think most teams, you know, defensively, most teams don't tend to make too many changes at the back. Harley Dean's been a stalwart for the last couple of seasons. So they will miss him massively. But just gives us an opportunity for someone else to to try and fill his boots and. Um, there's plenty of young players and, and, and squad players who've, um, who can step in and take that opportunity. Because if you look at um, his partner at the back, I mean, you've got um, the two of them. Uh, last season, didn't really get Roberts didn't really get much game play. Now we sort of playing really regu- regularly, and, and he looks as if he's been there all along.
1: Our weakest area on the pitch at the moment is currently in between our left centre back and our left back, since where most of the other teams are sort of targeting and we've seen the most goals. So, do you think Birmingham's right flank could cause us a lot of troubles on the weekend?
2: Yeah, Colin is is definitely one of the top two or three players that Blues at the moment. I think he's absolutely fantastic. Um, and down that right side for Blues, they they do cause a lot of teams. They create a lot of chances from that right side. So, if Fulham have, have got a weakness there, um, you know, they'll have a tough um, time of trying to to shore up that that side of the pitch really, because they will have to do something to, to stop um, Colin. And, and and I think it's um, at times it's either Via Filalba or I mean um, Rapti sort of drifts that that right side as well as well.
5: Well, Delhi is a key clash on the weekend. What's your score prediction?
2: it's always tight um i always fancy blues to win to win their games at home fulham the way they keep possession the scoreline's not going to be great it's going to be the odd goal and i i think it's going to come down to whoever gets it first uh, blues I, I'm going to say one-nil Birmingham
6: City. Fulhamish is partnered with the theterracestore.com, who have a great range of official Fulham merchandise with a retro twist. Some amazing products with throwbacks to some of the iconic Fulham kits of yesteryear. Right now, Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off. Just use the code Fulhamish when you check out. Uh, they've got some great presents, particularly with Christmas around the corner. So make sure you use the code Fulamish for 10. 10% off, that's at the terrace store.com.
1: Thanks again for Delhi for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure to have him on. And moving swiftly on was the whole loss, having its time to sort of bed its thoughts in our head. We thought it'd be a great time to answer more of your listener questions taken off Instagram today. And we answered these on our Love Spot Radio show, which remember you can listen to every Wednesday night from 9 pm.
5: To kick it off, this one from Mitchell FFC If the goals keep coming from the left side area, is it time Ream was dropped?
1: I think this we are, we sort of touched on this a lot in, in in last week's radio show but it was that it's it's not just one person here there's various things is it Joe Bryan is he getting too far forward is it Re not coming across to cover him is it holding Field and not dropping in but you could argue that you know when what come January when Michael Hector's registered to play that you'd put Morrison back in his favourite position of left centre back, who's probably a bit more mobile than Tim Ream, and then you, Michael Hector at right centre back. And would this issue be fixed then? Possibly, but then I think it's it is about you know Joe Bryan not committing himself forward. Then obviously Caviero doesn't help him cut back. So I think for me. It's not just, you can't just put this blame on one player, but I do expect when Mark Hector comes back that you possibly will drop Tim Ream, move Alfie Mawson to a left-side centre-back and then put obviously Hector on the right side.
3: Yeah, I agree really. Um, I know we, we, we've had a bit of rivalry with Villa over the past few years, but everyone bangs on about how Tyron Mings changed their season last year when he came in, in January. And I'm hoping Mickey Hector can do the same for us.
4: Yeah, definitely. But I do think it's a bit of a worry that now you saw that Hull targeted that left-hand side. Lots of teams will know that that's where that's how to get us. So, I
1: mean, it's you, where we've seen yeah. every single goal. It's literally seen. every
4: single goal. Yeah. So, especially when you've got players like Bowen up front and stuff like that, they're obviously just gonna say just go to that side. Especially when, with well, no offence to him, but Maxime came on, you could see that he didn't win his first few battles, and then that was it. The confidence
5: was gone, and they were like even better. Left side's even more inviting now. Yeah, teams do their homework. They see where you're vulnerable and they attack it. Maybe that's an area why it's been one uh, win in those five games. Next question uh, from Rocco Baldwin. It says, how should we respond uh, on with the game on the weekend against Birmingham? What could we see different?
1: I th- I, I don't know if it's anything different as such. I just think that maybe we were a bit too passive from the beginning of the game and maybe if we shock Birmingham by going at them a bit more directly from the beginning of the game, I'm not saying give them a bit more possession. Obviously, they'll be the home team so we expect them to have a bit more of the ball but I think that we need to utilise our players on the flanks and I don't think we're doing that. I think we've got two of arguably the best wide players in the league in knockout and Caviero and they haven't been anywhere near their best for a very long time. I don't think Caviero has probably reached his best yet. Same with knockout and I don't think we're utilising them enough. I think that Maybe also getting Kearney closer to Mitrovic because I think if he is going to play that, that more advanced midfield role, he's got, he needs to be on Mitrovic so Mitrovic has players to work off. So I think I don't think I'll really make any changes. If that In that left back position, I'd probably move Dennis Adoy out there and put Steven Session on at right back just because I don't, as a, we don't have cover for him and he's played the closest thing we've got. And I don't think Matsy the Marshall and is the answer. And if he is, I do not want to know what the question is. But but then I think you've got to look at the goalkeeper situation. I was, Rod- just, I was just about to Rodak's about it, yeah. back, Rodak's ban is going to come up. I think that's one of the uh, latest questions. But you've got it's like it would make sense for Parker to bring in Rodak because better than they didn't exactly impress uh, against Hull. I mean, if you look at that third guy, I think it's one of the funniest goals <laughs> I think I've seen is concede when it just hits. I think it's Tommy's falling yeah, yeah. over and it just goes into the back of the net. And like I don't think when I, when I watched it, I was like. Nah, surely he's actually just meant to hit that, and he's 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 sort of falling over. But no, it just hits someone. Some players falling over. So I would expect Rodak to come back in. But then otherwise, I would yeah, I would go Steven Session up right back. You keep Reem Mawson in the middle. Have a doy left back. You probably look. You probably be more defensively aware on that left hand side with two players who are sort of natural defenders as opposed to a wing back like Joe Bryan. And then a midfield three of probably Harrison Reed, Stephanie Hanson. I'd play with Tom Kearney, with Cavie, we've got to have Caviero, you'd have Mitrovic and I probably would bring Knockout back into the side because I think he's got he's, he's urging to really prove a point and that I just feel like Bobby Reid's a better option off the bench than he is starting.
3: I agree with much of that. Um I don't think Knockout's done enough to But
1: the thing is with w- Knockout, he's w- not probably going to come place... off the bench and make an impact.
3: I think he might do I, I don't know, but because but, but then I am torn with that because Bobby Reed is not a winger and I'm I'm Kind of, I don't think anyone uh,
1: knows what Bobby Reid exactly. is. Exactly,
3: like he's kind of impressed in parts, hasn't he? Like he came, when he came on against Charlton, he changed the game and he was fantastic. But um, I agree with you the goalkeeper situation. Um, Harry Arter is he fit yet? Probably we don't really know, do we? I was um, about to say if I've,
4: Harry Arter was fit, I'd definitely put him alongside personally Reed and Kearney. I would agree. Uh, yeah, and that would be other than Rodak and uh, Adoy swapping. Um, from right back to left back and Stephen Session coming in those are the
5: changes I'd make other than Jay Stansfield on the bench <laughs> he is bagging in the goals left right and centre for the youth teams isn't he yeah. well because there is actually a question on Arta it's the next one this one from A1 it says what are the team's opinions on Arta deleting his Twitter account well obviously
1: it will seem to be football and politics merging this weekend which is never a good thing never footballers who don't like understand politics getting involved in politics it just shouldn't be a thing I think it's probably the best that most footballers aren't on Twitter because they'll usually spout some rubbish and it will get them into trouble so for Harry Artis sake because considering what he tweeted was completely wrong and out of context it's probably a good thing
3: it's quite funny obviously Charlton's Lyle Taylor got involved as well which is um, he hasn't deleted his Twitter no um, he's, been, he's been having a bit
5: of back
1: and forth as well yeah, with Tony Watt with, yeah. with Tony Watt um, who's living off that goal against Barcelona oh yeah
3: um Tony Watt was quite funny, um, but yeah, it was. I'm, I'm not necessarily of the opinion that, oh, you know, politics does affect everyone, so they, they're allowed to have an opinion on it, but it's just the fact that they were just embarrassing themselves because they just showed that they didn't understand what they were on about, um, but, you know, if you want to come back with an informed opinion, that's fine, <laughs> but, it, but his opinion wasn't informed. Guy
5: firing shots, <laughs> <laughs> oh, on the Mish podcast.
4: And then he come in with the, the fishing emoji as well, which basically just says... means oh. you haven't got an answer. Yeah, it basically yeah. means, oh, sorry, I got absolutely everything wrong.
5: Yeah, it means I have no reply to you, so I'm going to say that you were fished. It's the worst. It's the woat of emojis, as Don would say. Let, let's move on. The next question, should we bring Seri back in January? He's poor at Galatasaray at the minute, which makes me think, well, why do you want him back? But should we?
3: No. He's playing right now at the Bernabeu. He's losing 4-0. I, w- I wouldn't bring him back, though. Like, I, I 100% wouldn't why not he's a Champions League player I just I just I, I don't
1: think I love
5: these Champions <laughs> it's not, League he- players he- it's, not,
1: it's not healthy what's worth for the squad at all for me he 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 was one of the problems why, <laughs> our, why our dressing room was so divided last season Him the likes of him coming in Andre Scherler and Guisa splitting the dressing room when it comes to all these big Premier League players I don't think he would make too much of a difference in that midfield I know he's a great player but I really don't see what difference he'd make I don't see how he fits into the midfield because he needs that, he probably needs two players behind him, if anything, protecting him to allow him to use his creativity. So he wouldn't, f- you're thinking, you've got Harrison Reed. he's not going to play the RT Hansen running up and down. If anything, maybe Anguisse would fill that role, as we spoke about even in pre season. But yes, yeah, Seri, he he can just leave. Like, terminate contract, mutual consent. Terminate? No need for him. It's a strong word.
3: It'd be quite, it is a it'd, word. It'd be quite funny if he came back though, wouldn't it?
1: No.
4: I think we should send him somewhere else. I don't think he should come back, but if he's not. Well, I did see uh, on my way here a Galatasaray fan tweeting uh, something along the lines of Seri doing what he does best, giving the ball away. Oh, come on. Which was about... Oh, class.
5: He's 100% correct. (laughs) Guy, would you want him back? Genuine. Yeah, it was <laughs> hilarious, is not it?
3: No, but in seriousness. <laughs> what, John
1: McElsoe playing in the Championship yes. away to Preston on a yes. Tuesday night in December? Yes. It's a tough tie, tough fixture. It is going to be a very tough fixture.
3: Yeah, I, I, we're definitely going to lose that game. <laughs> uh,
5: let's quickly, we can fit one more in because we've just been talking about, uh, we talked about the five game fixtures. Tough Christmas period coming up. This one from Dan Williams. He says, if it does get tougher, how long realistically has Parker got left?
1: I think Parker will be fine until the end of the season. It looks like we're n- absolutely not getting the top six. I think as long as he finishes in the top six, he'll be fine. But then you can just look at Darren Moore at West Brom from last season, as we said.
5: Yeah, and can I quickly ask that? Because obviously a lot's made of Fulham saying the squad they have top two automatic. I mentioned that to you, Joe. We know of the fans' expectations. We have to get straight back up or certainly with this squad. What is the ball's expectations? Is it just getting to the Premier League, whether it's playoffs or top two, or it has to be top two, top six? Or do they think if we finish seventh or eighth, but we made a good go of it, that was enough. What is the board's expectations? I think no matter no matter what, just promotion. I think they don't care how it comes about.
1: But the aim for the season, as you look at the investment in the squad, in what new new contracts for Kearney, although he signs one every two days at the moment, uh, Mitrovic, you know, Knockart, Caviero, Harryata, they're looking to get back up mm. straight away. And if they don't, you have got to look at. Are, is it going to mess up with our way structure? Are, like, is, what are the deals in line in the future for Caviar and Knockout and Arta? Is it if we get promoted or is it at the end of the season we'll go and buy them? And if
5: we do that, it could totally mess up our way structure. Well, if they don't get back up, let's quickly go back to that question. Uh, Joe, how long has Parker got? I do think it depends on this Christmas period. I can't see him being sacked unless it
4: goes horribly wrong. But I do think that if we're, I'd say not outside the top two, but outside the top six significantly, then it's probably the time when they'll start reconsidering their options. But I don't actually see that happening.
5: This question from Luke Christie says, "Why doesn't Parker try some different players? Matt O'Reilly, maybe a different wing- winger, Kamara."
1: No, not Kamara uh, is, is the answer to that question. But no, I like right he, him. He doesn't. He doesn't change it up. He doesn't actually. He just brings players on the pitch and is like, "Oh, do something." Like there was, I think I can't remember. Which... Is Harry says it? Do something, yeah. <laughs> Probably. No, but it was, I can't remember what game it was, but it was a game we were chasing. It might have been the Forest game. I'm not entirely sure. But we ended up pretty much playing a four-one-five, where it was just loads of players going forward. And that doesn't work. He doesn't change... alter a tactical system to then suit the players he then brings on. He sort of just frozen forward like it's the last, last five minutes on Football Manage. You've gone very attacking. You play about three complete forwards and two inside forwards and hope for the best. So I think it, Matt O'Reilly... I don't think setting the midfield is the problem, although I do want to see Matt Arrani play a bit more because I do think he's one of our most promising players in our academy. But yeah, the likes of Cabano, the likes of Kamara, you know, could be utilised a bit more just because, yes, you can bring on Bobby Reid, but he's not a natural winger. I mean, neither is Kamara to an extent, but, you know, you keep Cabano at the club as opposed to I eat him and you don't use him. I just I just think it's not about what players we start using. It's about altering the system to a system and then suits the players that are on the pitch as opposed to just shoving a load of players on.
3: Um, Kamara starts the playoff final, which we won and went up. I'm not. He, I'm
1: not having a, this. I'm not having <laughs> this. <laughs> a,
3: as a winger, and uh, I think you'll find he's world class. Actually, um, I'm, not um,
1: I'm, I'm not having it. I not He started the semi. Well, he came on the semi final and played in the final. Doesn't he? Cha- mean- he
3: changed the, the semi final. My did tie
1: changed the semi final.
3: <laughs> and then played the full ninety in the final. He, he, he put he, some respect he, on the name, Dom. Thank you. He's, he's got lots to of offer. Of course, he does. What has he got to offer apart from raw pace? Just goals at Old Trafford.
1: Oh, goals yeah. at Old Trafford. <laughs> it was a penalty. I already left the ground.
4: Thank you, Joe. And at the Emirates. What? Well, well, yeah, well, yeah, right. yeah. Not so much for that one, but I mean that but that being said, I wouldn't play him. Oh come but, on. Or, 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 I do think Blasphemy. that he I do think that he is an option coming off the bench. But um like Don was saying just now, he's I think about, that he's actually D. Yeah well. He
3: causes havoc. Like he he doesn't everywhere have, to if, us. If if he doesn't know what he's going to do, how does defenders know what they what he's going to do?
5: I, I completely. He, he's a nightmare for opposing managers. <laughs> you know, how can they put in a defensive game plan, Dom, when he doesn't know what he's going to do? He's the Tyson Fury of wingers.
3: He, he can do it all as well. Like, like you said, he's got dribbling ability. He's got finishing ability. He's got heading ability. You know, he's he's strong. He, One he's out, out Raw pace. Oh, he's 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 world class. I'd start him. We've got nothing else to lose. The season's already over. <laughs>
5: Joe completely <laughs> disagrees. Let's, let's move on. The next question is from Josh Cobb, and it says, why has Knocker, Tony Knockers, been such an anticlimactic signing?
1: It's hard to say, really. I... Is he suited to the way we're playing? Is is He's the first is, is the first thing I would point out. Is it is he suited to this four two three one sluggish possession based system we've been playing? I'm not so sure. Uh, I think you know the quality's there. We've seen the quality in some some of his dead ball situations and you know some 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 of, the, some of, the, some of the, sort of passages of play. But I did think it was deser- it, he was deservedly dropped for the Middlesbrough game. I don't think anyone was really surprised about that. I think he has been poor. I don't know what it is. I don't know if we need to change up our system to maybe find a system that utilises the R3 behind Mitch Rich more. But, yeah, I'm not too sure what it's about because he is one of the best players, gift, technically gifted anyway, in the league.
3: Yeah, I think um, it's a weird one. Talking about you know Parker's tactics, it, it, again, it goes back to this because I think him and Cavallero are swapping too much on the wings. And I know sometimes we want to play these inverted wingers. Um, which has worked. Cavallero's coming come in off the left and scored a, co- a couple of bangers. But I don't think that can be a helping knockout. Um, and if you look at. Do you
1: think us <clears throat> using two inside forwards is actually hurting the team? Because if you have Kenny in the number 10. This week didn't have. If Kenny wasn't playing 10, then we were play a 4 3 3 as opposed to 4 2 3 1, I maybe understand. But if you've got two players you want to run inside and you've already got a number 10 there, they're all sort of driving into the same space. And I think that's the problem because. Kenny's trying to utilise the space, and then you've got knockout running and Caviar running. We don't have that anyone going on the outside, you know, because our forwards aren't bobbing on like they used to, so it isn't as effective. Do you think that's a bigger problem?
3: Well, I think y- yes is the answer to the question, but I also think Kenny isn't getting on the ball enough. And I know, I know you were talking about it earlier. and um, like you think Kenny needs to be either closer to Mitrovic or like. Really drop into midfield and get on the ball. I think he needs to be dropping into midfield more and actually taking control of games. You know, he's he's, he's always been at his best when he's done that. We, when he's when, when we ha, we had to have our backs against the wall. I mean, at Middlesbrough, you know, I thought he played well. You know, um, when there was a job to be done, when he's keep hold of the ball and um, hold out with ten men, and he is the most creative player on the team. You'd say. Um, I think, particularly on the weekends, too often the ball was going through. Johansson and we found, we found like Ream and Mawson like just inside the whole half and not doing anything with it. I'd rather drop Kearney back there and then put the onus on him, who's actually a creative player, to go and do something.
4: I feel like it's a situation where you've got to pick two wingers and
3: stick with them now because you get in a
4: situation with the whole game where you've got Reid instead of knock and then Hull score and then you swap them and then they sub one off at half-time and no one... They, they they don't they don't know each other well enough yet because we're only a couple of months into the season. They should, I think, have a bit more chemistry now, but they don't because it's not the same front three every week. And when we looked at the start of the season, we thought, right, that's it. Kearney in behind, Notkart, Cavalera, Mitrovic, Reed, obviously as well. But I do feel you've just got to pick them now, keep it for a few games, see how it goes, because it's too predictable. But then once you change it, you've got someone coming off the bench and it's... It's For me, he's mixing it up too much up front. I think that that is an area where we need to start showing a bit more of
5: a solid three every game. Well, we'll go to our, our next question, maybe our last for this evening. This one comes from Jake Conroy. It says, is Mitro worth £100,000 a week and is TC worth sixty grand a week? We'll go round this way this time. We'll, we'll, we'll end with you, Dom. Joe, I'll start with you. What do you make of that? I think it's difficult I think um, it's a lot of money (laughs) (laughs) um, but
4: the fact is that you look at the Luton game I'm just going to use that one as an example I do think agree that it was comfortable overall but you could see that Luton very easily scored a couple of goals and it's the goals of Mitrovic that are getting us there so I do think he's worth that to us because I think that Without him, we're not going to be challenging, and I do think he needs more service at this current time. I do think that Kearney is worth that if you use him in the correct way.
3: I completely agree. Um, I'm surprised that Mitch Fish is on that. I've never heard that figure before. Um, but yeah, no that 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 that's a side point. Um, I think that would that figure would, would be too much for the championship. Personally, um, I thought that
5: was obvious that he was he was an hundred grand a week. When he signed. You know, I thought that to, was I thought that was no He was on ninety
1: last season and maybe got a pay increase this year. Really? But um I think what it is is you gotta look at a, there's a player's value then there's a player's mm. worth as as you touched on, Joe. So I think Mitrich Humcent is I think Kenny's still up for debate. He's worth it to us, but is he worth sixty thousand pounds? Is another question. But I, yeah, I don't think it's worth questioning what either player is worth to Fulham because we—they're both players are critical in any promotion hopes we have.
3: Hello, I'm Breda Hanglin and you are listening
0: to the Fulhamish Podcast.
1: With all the eyes focused on the football, it's important to remember that this Sunday is Remembrance Sunday. Last season, Sammy made a Fulhamish special on Fulham in the First World War where he spoke to history experts Morgan Phillips and Ian McCullum of football in the First World War to piece together how Fulham FC changed between the war years of 1914 and 1918 and remember the Fulham footballers who gave
6: their lives during the Great War. This Sunday, on the 11th of November 2018, it marks 100 years since Armistice Day, the end of World War I. The effects on all in the United Kingdom were life-changing for every person, town, city, industry, organisation you can imagine. But what were the effects for the one thing you and I hold in common, Fulham Football Club? Well, in this special episode of the Fulhamish Podcast, I'm going to give you a brief history of how Fulham FC changed between 1914... And 1918, 100 years ago. Throughout this episode, you'll hear the voice of Morgan Phillips, a Fulham fan for over 70 years, who has spent much time researching the history of his club. His help was invaluable, and he was absolutely brilliant, as you'll hear later on in this episode. Also, though, much of the research is being compiled with the help of Ian McMullen. Ian runs the website footballandthefirstworldwar.org, a site which is aiming to be a record of every UK footballer who fought or died during the Great War. You won't hear Ian's voice, as he said he doesn't like the sound of it, I can tell you he would have been great, but he was vital in this coming together. I'll give you some more details on Ian's website in just a little bit. But before we tell this tale of Fulham in the First World War, it's important to set the scene of where our club was in the early 1900s. And as Morgan explains here, it was a situation that many of you can probably relate to.
0: You won't be surprised to hear that it was fairly shaky, uh, <laughs> as it was through most of the 20th century. They're a club who've just about managed for a lot of the time. Um, funnily enough, in the 1900s, they were quite well off. There were local businessmen very keen to invest. And that's the period in 1904, 1905, 1906, 1907, when they built the ground and got into the Football League. But unfortunately, by 1914, most of those businessmen had moved on to other projects, and there was just one businessman behind them, quite a mean character called Dean. And the situation was with the one we're familiar with. Get a good player, and then they'd have to sell him, that kind of thing. Attendances were roughly 10,000. For a really good game, a bonanza, they'd get, say, the Arsenal, they might get 30,000. So, you know, there were good days and then some not so good, but they were just about managing.
6: So Fulham were just about holding their own as a football league team, but struggling to keep up with the big fish. It's a tale that sounds familiar to us Fulham fans these days. And whilst the players, the fans, the investors may have thought those issues were troubling at the time, what was to come couldn't really be envisaged. In 1914, following the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand in Sarajevo, war spread fast across Europe. Quickly, young British men were being called upon to join the armed forces in their droves. Clearly, there was going to be an immediate impact on the game we know and love. However, on the 1st of September 1914, the Football League season commenced as normal. They stated that they believed it would be a useful tool for recruitment and fundraising. And with many of the players married, and at the time married men weren't being called for conscription as they had a duty to provide for their families, there seemed a legitimate case for the game continuing. Let's go back to Morgan. I, I asked him whether fan interest was still just as high once the war had started.
0: You'd think that, wouldn't you? But that isn't actually what happened. No, People's attention did go away from football. The uh, attendance has dropped, you see, because... That first season, 14 to 15, that was still the football league, the second tier, but the games which would have got a good gate the previous year now got a very low one frequently, less than 10,000. Various reasons for it. Some of the football fans had already joined up in the army. Some had been moved away to get a job somewhere else because the war effort was a big lot of factory turning out um, shells and so on, and... um, no doubt a lot of overtime there, compulsory overtime. And transport was difficult. Civilian leisure time, transport always goes to the bottom of the priorities in a wartime situation. But also, uh, there was a lot of public feeling about the Football League carrying on as if nothing had happened. Because most other sports, they'd suspended their big activities. But the Football League, no, just they went on ahead
6: but the pressure on the football league soon grew to enormous levels football matches were routinely targeted for propaganda rallies across the country and morgan explains here one particular instance that happened at craven cottage
0: It's quite a funny thing in the early weeks of the war a man called frederick charrington went to the first home match for them because he was going to make a speech to the crowd and tell them, A, they shouldn't been there, they shouldn't have been sort of watching football, they should be joining up, and that the players, too, shouldn't be there, they should be joining up. Now, Fulham told him in advance that that would not be popular, he would not be allowed to do it, but he went along, stood up at half-time, and was about to speak, and he was dragged out, not by the stewards, but by the club chairman and the club manager, and he was just dumped in Seamlage Road and uh, got... Very indignant, but nothing else happened. But the football authorities realized that the public opinion was turning against them. So in December 1914, there was a big meeting at Fulham Town Hall where they launched the Footballers' Battalion. say a battalion specially for footballers, and then later on they opened it to fans. Um, and it wasn't just a public relations thing, this was a real battalion of the army, and they soon went into action and fought right through the Fort War and suffered some heavy losses. But um, still there was feeling against football and in September 1915 when the league did say, yes, well, we won't have our competition, we'll just have a regional thing with the teams from London and the South East playing together. Still there was strong feeling against it and I noticed in the... Um, fulham times one of the local papers they put a list of players that were expected to play for fulham in the 1915-16 season and the on the library copy is written in ink all should enlist
6: so when researching the area of former fulham players who were casualties during the first world war it's difficult to be precise it's not as easy as you might imagine uh, ian from football the first world explained to me that records weren't immaculate in the first place and the research process was made much more difficult by the fact a lot of paperwork was lost during the Blitz in the Second World War. As a result, it's impossible to be certain of all the Fulham players that did pass during the Great War and many have fallen through the cracks of research. However, we are aware of these eight players who graced the Craven Cottage turf but sadly lost their lives during the Great War. Probably
0: best-known names of those who died was Bob Seward, because he was a Fulham defender quite a long time, for quite a long stretch before the war. William Borland, who just joined, um, William Maughan. Um, Harry Rowbottom, now he was um, a Fulham player much earlier on, and that was in the sort of 1903 onwards. Pat Flanagan, Fred Wheatcroft, another one in the first years of the century um, he was also a Fulham school teacher, so he would have, people would have known him very well. Fred Waterson, not very much in the first team, and somebody called Ted Thompson who I think was quite new to the club when the war started. I think those were the ones that are most normally stated to be the, the Fulham casualties, although they say there were others who played for film at various times.
6: One story that Ian mentioned to me was that of Pat Flanagan, who you just heard from Morgan there. A well-known player in these times who also played for Arsenal and Norwich City. Pat was stationed in Tanzania in East Africa, which is different to most troops who were stationed on the front line in France. And he actually died of dysentery rather than in battle. Uh, Moving on, though, Fulham's casualties list was not as long as... Some other clubs in the football league.
0: That's absolutely true, and I don't know why it is—just luck, I guess. Because I know, um, I think they said there were sixteen from Tottenham. Well, of course, there's about half that from Fulham, something like eight. So that is very surprising, because we know, as you say, that they did go out, but and they did take part in various battles. But no, luckily, the the casualties were very few. Oddly enough, there were three in the um, early years um, in. 1915, um, September-October, there were three players who died, none of them big names, of course, but uh, it was a tragedy for them and for their families. The programme said that there were tears in the eyes of the players when the news reached them. So it must have been very sobering, but uh, no, after those three, luckily, there weren't too many more.
6: So Sunday is approaching fast, 100 years to the day since the First World War ended in 1918. And Fulham's players will be on the pitch that day, up at Anfield, and facing a very difficult task against Liverpool. And as we watch those 11 players on the pitch, I think it's important to remember those eight former Fulham players who gave their lives 100 years ago. Bob Seward, William Borland, William Morn, Harry Robottom, Pat Flanagan, Fred Wheatcroft, Fred Waterson and Ted Thompson. It's been super humbling for me to learn the stories of these men who gave their lives but we had something in common. We all had a place for Fulham FC in our hearts. I'm a 26-year-old man now and 100 years ago it's almost certain that I would be a prime candidate to be conscripted for the war effort and it's beyond the realms of imagination the fact that these men had to do that and had to put their lives on the line for king and country and to learn of their stories to learn of their fates is something quite remarkable and something i'm really glad that i've embarked on as a process making this podcast and i hope you've enjoyed listening as much as i've enjoyed making it um i'd like to give my thanks to morgan phillips and ian McMullen for their time in helping me compile this special episode of fulhamish looking back at those Fulham players who fought and passed away during the Great War. Ian's website, footballinthefirstworldwar.org, is an incredible resource and one that I wasn't aware of before undertaking this project. It's ran completely voluntarily and therefore it relies on donations to keep it running. Whilst there are many charities vying for your attention these days, I think it's vital we have resources like this, preserving our history so it's there as a record for future generations. Therefore, we decided that we would like to help them. We've teamed up with the incredibly talented artist, Payne Prophet, who's created this lowbrow style painting of a First World War soldier standing outside of Craven Cottage. It's absolutely beautiful and we really appreciate Payne getting involved with this project. Currently, we're selling A3 prints of this poster on our website, fullamish.co.uk forward slash shop. All the proceeds of the print will go towards Ian's incredible website, preserving the memory of these footballers who served their country. There's only a limited amount available, so if you enjoyed this podcast and you were moved by it, please do purchase a print and support this incredible resource so that it's there for years and years to come. Once again, you can buy your print from fulhamish.co.uk forward slash shop. Thank you for listening, unless we forget.
1: We're indebted to the brilliant help of Morgan and Ian for this project. Remember to check out their website, footballandthefirstworldwar.org, a valuable resource so they're tending to plot each link between UK football and the Great War.
6: Would you like the latest Fulham breaking news straight to your phone? I thought you might. If so, sign up to the Fulhamish WhatsApp channel and you'll receive regular match day updates, transfer updates, breaking FFC news and podcast alerts. It's 100% free and you can opt out anytime if you want. To sign up, go to fulhamish.co.uk forward slash whatsapp and follow the instructions. That's fulhamish.co.uk forward slash whatsapp.
1: That's all for this week's Fulhamish Extra. Thanks to Deli De Barlow, my co-host Guy Barlow and Joe Sansom, and obviously you listeners for all of your questions. Here's to three points on Saturday. Hope to see many of you up there as possible and we'll see you on Monday for a debrief of the action. See you guys later.